Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab. I'm your host, uh, Mitch Robbins. I'm the founder and managing director of the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations across the medical device, digital health, and diagnostic space to build best-in-class technical teams. So areas like regulatory affairs, quality, engineering, et cetera. Uh, joining me today is our guest, Mr. Nick Swig. He is the Associate Director of Talent Acquisition for a company called Beta Bionics. Man, this guy eats and breathes talent acquisition. It's not just a job for him, it's, it's really his life, which is why I'm so glad he's decided to join us today. Um, his passion and enthusiasm for the function of talent acquisition is just off the charts. All you gotta do is, is Google his name or look him up on LinkedIn and you'll see exactly what I mean. Um, Nick has been in, in recruitment both on the agency side as well as uh, being the internal champion for going on 16 years now. Uh, he's worked for major organizations like Fresenius Medical Care as the manager of talent acquisition for the manufacturing, quality, and supply chain functions. And now he heads up a talent acquisition for Beta Bionics. So if you aren't familiar with this company, you should really check them out. The company is a Massachusetts public benefit corporation, and the team is, is developing a bionic pancreas called the Eyelet, which is a fully integrated medical device that is designed to reduce the burden and cost of diabetes care by automatically and autonomously managing blood sugar levels 24-7 in people with type 1 diabetes. So without further ado, uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mitch. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. I like I said, I'm, it's a pleasure that you're here. I'm uh, I'm really uh, grateful that you decided to join us, and we're really going to get into a cool topic today, which is really the idea of a talent acquisition experience. And before we do, I just want to clarify: Did I was I accurate, kind of, with what's going on with Beta Bionics, or is there anything that you would want to add on that front? Yeah, you were impressively good on uh, <clears throat> what we're trying to do. And before I give any more detail, of course, I've got to have the standard disclaimer, which is just that our eyelet bionic pancreas is an investigational device. It's limited by United States law to investigational use only. It is not available for sale yet. And the information I provide has not been reviewed by the FDA. But you did a great job of kind of introducing um, the product Awesome. Well, right on, man. And it sounds like just amazing technology in the works for the diabetes space. And I know that this is kind of a piece that rings true in, in your own heart and why you decided to join a company like this. But, you know, as I was mentioning in your introduction, you really, truly do live and breathe talent acquisition. I know for a fact it's a passion of yours. And, and I'm excited to have you on today because I really want to dig into uh, something that you and I were talking just briefly offline about, and that is the idea of a talent acquisition integrated experience. You know, I think often we get caught up in the idea that talent acquisition just means recruiting and what that means on the front end as far as gathering, you know, a, a candidate pipeline, presenting resumes and, you know, off to the races with interviews. And I think you, you really have a different mindset about this, a unique mindset 
one that I agree with wholeheartedly to the idea that this is not, it's not just the front end piece. This is actually like the gateway to our entire organization for, for the betterment of how uh, can't, not only can it see us, but then how our employees are going to see us moving forward once they're onboarded. Mm -hmm. And so if it's cool with you, I'd love to jump into that and just kind of ask you if you would to share maybe some initial thoughts on your philosophy centered around this. Yeah, and thank you again for kind of highlighting my background. I've got a lot of experience both on the agency side and, and also the corporate side. And one of the things that I've noticed over the course of my career has been an overemphasis on the step at which we're acquiring talent. And I, I guess that might make sense given that we're often referred to as talent acquisition professionals. But, but the acquisition of talent starts long before you're actively recruiting for a position. So um, what I like to do is kind of think about the full life cycle of talent. Forget about uh, whether we're acquiring it, but uh, the full life cycle from general public does not know about the company at all to um, a lead or a prospect, someone that might know about the company, might have a little bit of interest uh, to someone who's actively pursuing a conversation about potential opportunities, someone who's actually interviewing for a specific opportunity, uh, the employee, right? That's an important part in the employment life cycle. Um, and then that, that continues throughout that employee's life, right? And thinking about how are we evaluating our talent? How are we advancing our talent or shifting our talent's focus depending on their career goals or their strengths and weaknesses. Um, and then even beyond that, thinking about our alumni, right? And how can our alumni network, the folks that have left the organization, either because they've pursued better opportunities or have had other logistical things come up that have required them to leave, but how do we, how do we leverage that? And I think to be effective in recruiting, you have to look at that full life cycle uh, of uh, an employee. Um, you have to have a strategy for each of those milestones because if you're not reaching out to the general public, if you're not reaching out to your alumni, then you're missing, I think, a lot of the value that talent brings to the organization that maybe isn't as tangible as an, an employee or a candidate might be, right? We think about these, these two groupings in particular as bringing the most value to the organization. Either someone is working for us or could bring a lot of strengths. But if, if you're not thinking beyond that, you're just constantly running on this treadmill and never really getting ahead and, and not really making an impact in terms of your brand within the community. You know, you hit it on the head, uh, especially with that last piece you just said, because I'm going to say, in essence, what you're describing is talent is is branding, organizational branding and talent branding. And I think it's that term has become more and more of a buzz term as of late. Um, and I don't know if everybody necessarily knows what they're saying when they say branding or employment branding, talent branding. What does that mean? But, you know, uh, rewinding for a second, as far as what you were saying, the full life cycle, um, people that haven't thought about making a change or don't know anything about the organization and kind of moving along the full spectrum to where they're a, a true live candidate interested in exploring the opportunity. In essence, what you're describing is the buyer's journey, right? In marketing terms, we would call it the buyer's journey. And buyer's journey is goes from basically cold to hot. They don't know anything about you. And now they're sold. They know they have a problem. They want to fix their problem. And they're seeing you potentially as the solution. Very similar to what you're describing as far as the full life cycle within 
talent acquisition or talent branding um, and the whole no like and trust factors. But I want to, I want to ask you something, where, how did you latch onto this? Why do you feel like this is important and where did this come from? It started seeing the lack of capacity to recognize talent internally. Right. <clears throat> and I've worked with a very large organization and I, I think it does uh, it did a lot of work to try to identify that talent, but the disconnect with the talent acquisition department made it such that uh, it didn't always realize the results we were looking for. So you you might have an organizational talent review process or performance uh, management process, and if talent acquisition doesn't have a seat at that table, no one's ever going to really understand who your nine box employees. And you, you might have a single leader that recognizes that they have talent in their organization that's strong, but of course, they aren't the ones directly recruiting for the positions across the organization. And so talent acquisition needs to be more involved in those conversations to have more visibility in terms of the performance of the employees in an organization in order to effectively tap them on the shoulder, so to speak, to let them know about those unique opportunities internally that might lead to someone staying longer, achieving greater success and bigger goals. Um, and that was sort of the, the piece that got me thinking is, well, well, wow, if, if we have such a disconnect with our own talent internally, um, simply because we've compartmentalized HR to such a degree that we're not able to effectively collaborate, what other areas of that, that employment life cycle is talent acquisition sort of not having a seat at the table? Um, and I think you made a great point, right? In the sales world, there's no limit to how many sales you can make. And so you can make investments and you can build a strategy in that cold section, whereas in with talent acquisition, there is a limit, right? And so I think the approach has always been, let's focus our efforts on that talent that might have a value immediately and sort of disregard the talent that um, might have value in the future. Um, although I would challenge that thinking because I, I have conversations every single day with people that have a background that may never fit in with beta bionics, right? Maybe it's a pharmaceutical background, um, but they're so in love with our mission and what we're trying to do that they're putting me in touch with all of their contacts. So I think it started with understanding and seeing that gap on the internal piece and, and that that advancement piece. But as I started to think about that gap and that problem, I realized it extended well beyond just the internal. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. And there's a couple of things I want to pull out from what you just said. One is <clears throat> the importance of involving talent acquisition when it comes to performance management and talent management conversations internally for two reasons. And the term I'm about to use comes from a mentor of mine, but in essence, it's, it's uh, employer DNA, talent DNA. And what I mean by that is, I don't care if you're an organization of 10 people or you're an organization of 10,000 people because it can be broken down as, as, um, as finite as you need it to be. But what are the characteristics that are common amongst your top performers? If you took a whiteboard and you got in a room with people who are witnessing this performance from the team on a daily basis and you wrote down all the characteristics of top performers, as many as you possibly can, 
And then you said, okay, which characteristics of these are fairly common amongst these top performers and characteristics that we want to continue to embellish or promote within our culture, our organization, and we want to hire for similar characteristics. Now you become steadfast as to what, not only what is your employer DNA, but if people that you think are talented from the outside don't display those characteristics, you know, from your due diligence, then you're not hiring against your, D, your internal DNA. Well, who better to be in part of those conversations than the people that you're asking to be advocates for your organization to recruit talent in, right? So they need to be part of that. The other thing that you mentioned is historically, I think so many organizations and so many recruitment professionals have taken a reactive approach to recruiting. We just lost Sally on Tuesday. Oh my gosh, get the posting up you know, pay for LinkedIn recruiter, pay for Indeed, whatever you need to do, let's get the word out. We need to start hiring. And the hiring manager's breathing down the recruiter's neck. Where's my canis? Where's my canis? It's all very reactive. The thing I love about what you're saying is the thing that we can't preach enough is instead of being reactive, why don't you build a proactive approach to where you're constantly branding and putting out value-add content to an audience that that sees you as a beacon light, right? Um, to where you're almost the go-to resource for value. And then when it comes time for them to start thinking about making a move, guess who they're thinking about already? Because they constantly see your brand. What's your thoughts on that piece? Oh, I agree completely. And I, I, I'll start by saying I love that um, notion of that DNA piece, right? And, and the reason I think I love it is because it sort of further illustrates the point because if you were to track down those things that are consistent across your top performers, none of those things are likely to be technical skills. None of them are going to say, nobody's going to say Nick's a great recruiter because he filled this position. They're going to say he's a great recruiter because he communicates well or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and I think too often we think um, inside the box. And I think one of my favorite, I use a TA coordinator role as a, a feeder role for the organization. My, my objective is bring someone in who has high potential, no experience, give them an opportunity to do as much as possible, teach them as much in two years, and then let them fly off into the organization where they can be successful. And I had one coordinator where um, she was fantastic and really good at some very specific things. Um, and, and I advocated for her to move into project management. Right, has nothing to do with talent acquisition. It's not part of HR, but she had that DNA and she had those competencies that were so perfect for a couple of different functions. And, and that's where I think the current model struggles because you have a, a single leader looking at the organization and they're, they're thinking very much in, inside the box. And so um, I think that that's a big piece of it. Um, so I, I love the leader who kind of came up with that in, in a very big way. That, that's perfect and illustrates the point perfectly. Awesome. Let's talk more about kind of your, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing some tips and tricks of the trade as far as what you are doing to try and build awareness and get ahead of the curve as far as trying to not only necessarily build a Canada pipeline, but like I said, build awareness of what the company's doing, why people should take note. Well, I'd say the first thing uh, I try very hard to do, I try not to have a conversation, my first conversation with someone I don't know about a job. 
Um, that That's not an effective starting point for me. I would like to have, and I call them in my calendar career calls, right? It, it's an opportunity for me to get an understanding of who this person is, what motivates them, what gets them excited. What are those things, right? We all have those things that lead us to go home, even on a Friday night, and get so addicted and excited about something we're working on that, you know, it's two or three in the morning. And, and you're finishing up, right, on a Friday night when you should be out partying. I don't think I'm earning any cool points here, Mitch, but um, <laughs> what are those things that just make you addicted and get you so amped up? Yeah. Um, and then to start thinking about where do those fit into the organization? Um, I, I spoke with an individual in, you know, IT, for example, and initially I was really thinking, okay, this, this could be a candidate for an IT role. But again, put that conversation aside, had the open career call, and lo and behold, there's a senior project manager position that is relating to software development and implementation. Sounds like a really good fit. And so I think for me, it's to, to stop thinking outside the box. You have to put the box aside completely. And I know that's, that takes more time. Right, because now you're having to have that career call and then to have a pre-screening call about the specific jobs that you've identified as potentially being a fit. But but you get so much more value out of the talent when you do that and, and you understand the the boundaries of where this person could go. And and if that IT candidate, for example, doesn't end up getting or doesn't want that senior project manager job or whichever job they had directly applied to, now I know I can reference the workforce plan that the leaders have been wonderful to give me. I mean, even five years into the future, I, I couldn't believe the amount of planning that has gone into um, our, our workforce. But I can start to look forward at what is coming and when might you hear about potential opportunities so that we're not losing value from talent just because they didn't fit in that one box. I think that's probably the one big miss is that recruiters are consistently evaluating candidates that be it on their resume or in that initial call on the basis of a single job versus that company DNA, um, if we see your uh, leaders. <laughs> I would, you know, I was going to ask you, though, and it's funny how you kind of pushed back for yourself and anticipated what the pushback might be. But for a lot of HR and talent acquisition people listening to this right now, they're thinking, Nick, that's awesome. I, I fully agree with you. You know, the, the exploratory career call, and then you kind of warm up the conversation, you build some rapport. And then when it's time to talk about a real job, you're in a much better position because you also, not only do they have the opportunity to build a rapport with you, but you also understand kind of more about their motivations and not just specifically, hey, do you fit this, you know, this box? But for people who are saying, Nick, I've got 20 requisitions on my desk what, and I've got, um, you know, managers in my own function and hiring managers breathing down my neck because I got to fill these pipelines. How do you want me to do this on top of that? What would you say? Well, I think it starts with your leadership, right? A recruiter is not going to be able to prioritize these types of initiatives um, it depends on what what they've been given, right? What's the, the capacity of a recruiter in an organization? And are they being assigned work all the way up to capacity? Because you're exactly correct. 
Um, most recruiting models, most corporate recruiting models do not allow for this kind of proactive approach and, and thinking and, and strategic approach to talent in general. Um, but what I would say is that I will touch more spend for my company than any other person that works at the company. This includes the CEO. This includes board members. I am offering millions and millions and millions of dollars in salary every single year, right? And when you think about how much money our talent costs an organization, it, it becomes a little bit hard from a leadership's perspective in, in TA to not start to budget for that kind of proactive work. And, and I think in most cases, you're better off splitting out the tactical versus the proactive. You know, most recruiters that have worked agency side, you know, have heard the saying, work closest to the money, right? And when you're working on positions, regardless of how many it is, most recruiters are trained to start their day with who are the candidates that finish their final interview? And then who are the candidates that just finished their first? And they work backwards. The problem with that methodology is that you never make it all the way to that proactive side. Yeah. And I think developing a talent acquisition organization that both leverages you know, professional recruiters that are extremely good at identifying talent and um, evaluating it for a specific position, but then earmarking, if you will, talent within the department that are having these kind of proactive, high-level conversations. But before talent acquisition leadership can even do this, an organization is going to have to really sit down and think through what is our DNA? What are those competencies that lead to success? What are the values that we cherish and that we believe in? What are the motivations that lead people to achieve great things? And to really have a clear roadmap so that you don't have one person trying to figure out how these candidates, this potential talent might fit into the organization, but you have a very clear strategy and some rigor around here are the things we're looking for, and, and here's the talent we're going to keep and hang on to and communicate with either through drip campaigns or otherwise. And you also have to be willing to say goodbye to some talent because there, there's some talent out there that just isn't going to bring value to our organization anytime within the foreseeable future. That, that's not a bad thing. One of my mm -hmm. best friends works for National Grid doing uh, the gas main lines, right? He, he digs the holes and puts the pipes in. There's just realistically no opportunity for someone like that at our company. Um, and being willing to identify that, be transparent with candidates so that they understand exactly where they stand, I, I think is key. You touched on what I consider to be a golden nugget, and that is, as talent acquisition continues to evolve, I truly wonder if, if there really will be a newly created position in a way, where one is very tactical, here's our open requisitions and here's what we need to, to fill, and here's somebody who's working on the front end right? Trying to build awareness, brand awareness, trying to have these exploratory conversations and almost build a futuristic um, engaged, you know, engaged talent pool. Um, and I know there's different, some companies have, you know, on the website, hey, join our talent pool today by clicking here. But I'm talking about truly proactively, um, you know, building on the, on the front end. I think that makes a lot of sense as far as the idea of maybe splitting the two up because people only have so much time in a day. 
um, especially if you got a lot of, of recruiting work to do. Just a couple other questions for you. And I want to give you time to talk about all the great things happening. And by the way, man, Beta Bionics has just an unbelievable asset in you. Um, if the company is anything like, like you are, you guys are definitely uh, on the right track. Um, but, you know, you, right now you're really building the function. What's your thoughts on job descriptions these days and, and your, your idea of, you know, your approach to it? Oh, boy. Job descriptions are probably my least favorite topic. And frankly, I think if you asked anybody within the talent acquisition realm, they'd probably say the same thing. In fact, maybe even anybody within HR. But I, I think they serve a really important purpose, right? There, there are one source of truth. It's where we come together and decide what is it that this person will be doing and, and what are those baseline conversations. And, and while the job description itself, the exercise of creating one or reading one as a candidate is, is sort of laborious. Yeah, laborious. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, the practice of developing the job description is really where the value is, right? When you're having to think critically as a leader about what are specifically the things that someone's going to be doing, how are they going to be um, functioning within the organization, who are the different departments they're going to be working with. It's sort of important because I think it sets the stage correctly. Whereas if, if that wasn't really part of the equation, I think we would oftentimes have uh, companies hiring talent that hadn't fully thought through, do we need this talent? <clears throat> you know, what, what's the purpose of this talent? Um, typically, the first question I ask when I'm meeting with a new hiring manager who has an open position is, what's the problem that needs to be solved? Um, surprisingly enough, you sometimes get blank stares. Well, what do you mean? Susie left. That's the problem. Well, no, that's something that happened. That's not the problem, right? Yeah. What, what's the real problem? Um, so I, I think that they are a, an important step in the process. I think candidates should, for all intents and purposes, review them, but yet not place too much weight on them. Right. Because a lot of companies have written their job descriptions five, six, seven, eight years ago. A little different here at Beta Bionics being so new and being a startup where we were writing job descriptions for specific openings in real time. So a little bit more accurate and whatnot. Um, the requirements are an area for an FDA regulated company, though, that a candidate can pay particular attention to because um, we have to set clear requirements for jobs. We have to hire candidates that meet those requirements. That's part of providing high quality products, medical products. Um, and so not, not a fun piece of the process, but I, I think it's still an important piece of the, the process. You know, this is an area that I am very passionate about, actually, <clears throat> and for a couple of reasons. I think that there's a significant amount of laziness in this area from companies. Um, I can't tell you how many job descriptions I read with typos, how many job descriptions I read where they will throw literally every piece of hot button language in that they, you know, you could possibly think of. And there's a stat out there. I, I forgive me. I can't remember where I saw, it, but it's a real stat. On average, people take 76 seconds to look at a posting before applying. This is why you get, you know, janitorial service workers applying to PhD positions or 
you know, I could, I'm sure <laughs> I'm not alone in have seen that, right? Um, <clears throat> but I think that this is a major, major missed opportunity. And here's what I mean. When we take on a search as an organization, I explain to the employer, there's really two sides to a coin uh, when it comes to recruiting. On one side, we've got what we call the performance profile. Previous success, that's going to help indicate future success based on what you need this person to help you with, your priorities. Like you said, what is the problem this person is solving? Um, and it's not just Mary left. It's no, what, truly, why, what is going on here? The two or three critical priorities that you really need this person to, to work on the minute that they get on board. And then also future casting a year from now, how, what's going to need to happen for you to be sitting down with this person and say, you know what, we really hired the right person. What's, how would the department, how would the function look different a year from now? This is how you need to think. The flip side of that is the employer value proposition. <clears throat> Why would somebody who's doing this job elsewhere today stop dead in their tracks and consider having an exploratory conversation with you about this opportunity and make it a no-brainer that it, it makes, I'd be fooled not to have this conversation. What is it? And the job description can be a perfect place to identify, to out articulate these things. It's not, you know, we're XYZ company with 30 years of experience and we, we're passionate people and we offer Hawaiian shirt Fridays, right? It's not that. It, it's what is compelling? What's this person going to be exposed to? Who, who's going to mentor them? If they do well, what's in, it, in store for them? What type of flexibility, autonomy, opportunity to spread their wings? These are pieces of your employer value proposition. On the other hand, instead of just listing duties and responsibilities, what are the priorities you need help with? When they come in, what are they going to be working on? So even though uh, it's a kind of, kind of a, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm, I'm saying, well, on average, people don't pay attention to the job descriptions. But what, are the, what about the people who happen to be browsing um, and they see something that is literally the 1% of job descriptions that's completely different? What does it say about your company that you're not cookie cutter, that you don't just list duties and responsibilities like everybody else? Already, you're setting the type of tone that you want, which is to be an outlier. What, what do you think about that? No, I agree. The call to action is really what's yeah. missing, right? Yeah. It's, it's sort of um, a procedural step uh, versus being a, a call to action and something that it, it can really compel someone to Maybe, maybe not answer all their questions, right? All we need the candidate to do is pick up the phone or, or send an email or a text or communicate, reach out. Like, I, I'm curious, I saw this, what does this mean? Um, and, and then it gets the dialogue started, right? The conversation started. And you see this problem, not just on the job description side, where, where do we see this problem? You see it on the resume side, yeah. right? exact same problem where Absolutely. nine out of 10 of the resumes I see look exactly like a job description. Here's a list of the tasks I was responsible for. But what did you accomplish? What did Amazing you do? that you say that. It's true. What, did you, what were you proud of, even if it failed, right? Yeah. Um, let's think about both job descriptions and resumes in the context of that call to action, right? When I look at that resume, I, there has to be something in it to, to prompt me to want to talk to this person. Um, I think my favorite cover letter that I ever received started the first sentences, uh, this cover letter will outline all of the reasons you should not hire me for this position. Okay, 
that grabbed my attention, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that approach before. Right. Um, and, and I mean, I hadn't gone beyond that sentence before I knew this was someone I was going to talk to. Whether they were a fit or not, it didn't matter. I just liked that they were willing to take a different approach and, and sort of stand out. And Absolutely. I think the same effect would happen with job descriptions if companies were willing to kind of put themselves on that risky edge and, and go beyond the standard list of things that you're required to do and talk more about where what are the projects that we need help with? What, what is that problem that needs to be solved? I don't think I've ever once seen a job description that communicated to me what the problem is that needs to be solved. Which is crazy. It's asinine if you think about it. It really is asinine. But I'm telling you, it stems from old school in the box approach and laziness. Both. This is the way we've done it. This is the way we've always done it. Nobody's asked us to do it differently. So we'll just keep doing it. But I'm yeah. telling you, and I think the, re- the reason you're on the show is because I know you think differently. It, the the industry is changing, like it or not. The way people look for information, the way they they um, consume information, the way they make decisions, it's all changing. And so I think the people that can be on the forefront of this are going to be way ahead of the game. Just like podcasts, man. A couple of years ago, podcast was like, okay, now everybody and their brother has a podcast. So exactly, yeah. And I think companies that are fearful of that change. You know, you can always have an internal job description. There's no reason why you can't. And then a separate document that goes out to be your marketing agent, right? There's no reason why that wouldn't work. So companies don't have to take the full plunge. But I I think thinking through how do we market our jobs um, is a big gap. Absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled that you've been here today, man. Lots of great stuff. I wish you nothing but the best of success on your journey as you build, help Beta Bionics build its workforce. I want to um, leave a minute, though. Tell me what's going on with the company. What are you excited about? What's coming up? What should people take note of? And how can they how can they learn more? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say, boy, what an exciting opportunity for me. I honestly was not looking, um, but this was just so unique. I think one of the big pulls for me was that public benefit corporation status. You you mentioned it early on, but um, probably like me, most of our listeners here are, what what does that mean and and what is that all about? Because the public benefit laws have not existed for more than about 10 years or so. So there there aren't a whole bunch of uh, business analysis papers from Harvard or otherwise analyzing how does this look and and what is different. But I think I was so excited to see that it gives companies the legal right to both balance those other priorities, that's the more traditional priorities like generating value and revenue, that sort of thing, with a a publicly stated mission statement. Um, and, And we put that mission statement out long before we collected investments so that Everyone knew exactly what they were getting into. Um, in our personal case, right, what we did was to give type 1 diabetes patients a seat at the table. Doesn't matter if they work at the company. Doesn't matter if they never use our product. Every single patient is included in our decision making. So that gives us the ability to do things like invest in other technologies that you know, might not have a direct financial return internally. Um, I think the thing that has um, really 
surprised me is the level of passion um, that is within the organization and the level of intelligence. I, I reached out to, I, I worked for the chief legal counsel for a couple of weeks while uh, we had waited for our new chief people officer to start. And I think it was day three that I reached out to her and said, you know, wow, the level of intelligence here is intimidating. <laughs> you know, um, I was talking interview theory on day three with one of the leaders. And, and that is not a, a common experience. Yeah, no, that's not common at all. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't usually get that, the fun stuff. Um, <laughs> and I think the, the passion comes because a lot of the people that work at the company, of course, have a personal connection to type 1 diabetes, certainly Ed, our CEO, um, Ed and Serafina, some of the other um, founders. Uh, and there is this passion that, you just don't see at every company. Uh, that's a good thing and a bad, right? If if you're going for a good work-life balance, it's pretty tough to work for a mission-based company because you're always thinking one more email, one more thing that I could do, one more call to help the cause, to help the mission, get this product in the hands of people that need it a little bit more quickly. Um, but we have a lot going on. Um, we're, we're hoping to, to be able to launch our first product next year, um, obviously depending on our clinical trials and FDA review. Um, but then we'll start development of the second product, which is a bi-hormonal system. First one is insulin only. Um, and I, I think as we're starting to think through how our organization will shift and evolve to be commercial, not just a research-based company, but how do we now become a commercial company? Uh, the conversations are just so interesting um, in terms of how to design these different teams, how to make sure that the customer experience is world-class, right? And when a customer orders one of our products, can we, can we actually be so transparent as to say, here's where your product is on the manufacturing line? It's currently being tested in quality control. It's being packaged for shipment. It's been shipped, right? Can we bring our patients with us on that journey as we produce the device that we hope will, will give them a significant enhancement in, in life? Um, so it really has been a lot of fun. And I think because of that, now's the time to reach out to me uh, if you're thinking about being part of a company that does have a public benefit designation, um, if you want to be part of a mission-based uh, vision, this, this is the great time because we, we don't have that fully baked yet, right? And yep. I'm having these conversations and sometimes candidates share things that shift the way that we were going to do something. Forget about whether there's an opening. It's an idea or a perspective or a different approach that we haven't yet considered as a smaller organization. And we can bring that into that conversation. So I've talked a little bit about how to leverage the value of talent across that employment life cycle. But I think talent can also appreciate that they can influence a company. They can actually bring value before they've worked there or even been engaged. So um, it's really been a lot of fun. I, I'm so excited that nobody has kind of even blinked an eye with my ridiculous, crazy ideas, um, which I was not expecting. Um, so real openness to change, innovation, thinking differently. 
And, and that is just like in my DNA. It's something that I loved and I could tell through the interview process. And I, I just got so excited to be part of it. So it's, it's really been a lot of fun sort of being like in the center of a tornado right now because I'm, I'm trying to fly the plane while I'm installing the engine over here, you know, yeah. plane flying with my toe. Um, but I, I wouldn't want it any other way. I love that fast pace, you know. That's awesome. Well, like I said, nothing but the utmost respect for you. And if the company is in, you know, culture is indicative of who you are and your outlook on, on building a workforce, it seems like a fantastic opportunity for so many, especially if you're tied into the, the mission and vision of, of what this could mean for the diabetes community. And the website, it's betabionics.com. Is that right? It is. Yeah. Cool. And we'll post in the show notes, if it's okay with you, Nick, um, uh, not only the website, but how to, how to reach out to you directly. And uh, like I said, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Really appreciate uh, the insights that you've shared and, and the time. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. You can tell I love talking shop. And Mitch, I could probably go on for five, six, seven days. And my family will also appreciate this hour so that I stop bugging them with talent acquisition talk. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, ladies and gentlemen, this guy, it's not a job for him. He literally lives and breathes the stuff. So thanks again, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.